You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. Jasmine Warga grew up outside Cincinnati, Ohio. Before becoming a full-time writer, she briefly worked as a science teacher. My Heart and Other Black Holes is her first novel. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to speak to you. I've been looking forward to this ever since I read the book. In this beautiful novel, which it's at its core is a love story, a story of a first love. It's also a portrayal of a very serious issue, depression. Why did you choose to frame the story with this subject matter? You know, I think it's interesting because I, I get asked about this question a lot, and the most honest answer is that the character of Azelle came to me. I heard her voice in my head, and so I think the character sort of chose the story and that's how I work as a writer so it's not as though I sat down and thought you know I want to write a book that sort of tackles teenage depression so now if I look back on it I think that the novel sort of unearthed a lot of questions that I've grappled with myself before and still grapple with and um, think about as opposed like thinking about things such as you know family ties and grief and all of that combined. But definitely for me, the book started with Azelle, and so this is her journey, and that happens to be a huge, huge part of it. But it it appears that you can tell in reading it and then in reading a little bit about you that you gave great care to treating depression the right way. As I understand it, you had a physician from Cincinnati Children's Hospital review the manuscript. What kinds of what kinds of things was he looking for, and, and what kinds of comments did, did he make? I'm curious. Yeah, you know, I think that both um, my editor, uh, Alexander Balzer, and I felt very, very strongly that we wanted to make sure that the novel was authentic and responsible. And, you know, she sort of knew that I'd written it from the gut and the heart and had it done, you know, a lot of outside research. I sort of wrote it from, like, my own personal experience and my own um, feelings And then we asked the psychiatrist, and he, you know, came back saying that he thought it was very authentic and that he felt the book did a good job of showing sort of two different sides of depression. Mm -hmm. Because with Azelle, where she obviously has outside circumstances that contribute to her depression, I view her as someone who struggles with clinical depression. So it's something she's probably going to deal with, you know, her whole life, and it may be exacerbated by situations, whereas Roman's depression clearly stems from that family tragedy and is very situational, but in some ways that can be you know, can, can sort of grab on onto a teenager um, in in the scariest and darkest of ways because that situation sort of looms, you know, over his life now. And so I think the um, psychiatrist, uh, I was so pleased that that he found the novel to be authentic and also to to treat the subject in a way that that doesn't romanticize it, which was something that I was I was very um, nervous about, I suppose, in writing a story that is at its heart a love story to take a dark topic and not glamorize it. 
Yeah, but you, that is a very fine line that I think that you walked extremely dexterously. Another thing that I admire about the book and another central theme is you're allowing the protagonist to learn how to reframe life experiences, to be, you know, aware of the interpretation of events as, as much as the events themselves. And I'd read a galley copy and I looked at the finished book um, today and I, I saw the Proust quote that you put at the beginning of the book, which is, is just so perfect for the book. How would you describe this philosophy that that your characters sort of um, become aware of, and how is that meaningful in your life, and how did that come to play in the story? Yeah, I mean, I think there's this idea that, especially as Al begins to discover that you know things in your life are are relative, and the way you see it one day, you may not see it the same way the next day, and how sort of for me, I think the trickiest thing to understand about depression is that it warps people's realities. So it's not that, you know, I talk with a lot of people sometimes and they seem to have this misunderstanding when I explain to them what the book is about because they're like, oh, well, I, I, they better have good reasons to feel like that. And depression um, doesn't operate with any sort of logic. And so I think that Azelle has this very analytical worldview that sort of fails her sometimes and and the book is sort of learning about um embracing that sort of gray area in your life that while something may seem really unbearable and impossible in the moment that if you give it time you may start to see things differently and and also it may not actually be the way that it that it seems seems in your head um and and just this idea of time and, and being more patient with yourself i think that well, it's a love story between two people. It's also, to me, a story about self-love, and that's sort of what Adele learns to embrace. Yeah, self-love and self-confidence and the strength that she discovers in herself. Tell me about how you chose your your leading character's name, because it's so interesting, the way that it's spelled and then the way that it's pronounced and, and how that's part of the story. Yeah, you know, her name, she's she's Turkish, and so both of her parents are Turkish, and Azal in Turkish means, like, moonbeam or moonlight. I, I used to think it actually meant the moon, and then I talked to someone who speaks Turkish and explained to me that it's actually more that glow of light from the moon, and I knew that I wanted to give her a very authentic Turkish name um, because I think that that was something I subtly wanted to weave in, this experience of, you know, being the daughter of two immigrants and having this name that's maybe difficult for teachers to renounce and classmates to renounce and how that can sort of lead to this feeling of isolation. Yeah, um, yeah. And my father is an immigrant, and I my name um, was easy for my classmates because of the Disney movie, but I always wonder if I'd had a name that was a little bit more tricky what that experience um, would have been like. So I just, you know, kind of, I was drawn to that name, and there's a certain, like, darkness idea of the moon, and so I liked, I named my characters the way I imagined their parents naming them, and I could have seen her dad sort of being drawn to that name, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Can you can you describe your, your writing process to us? And I'm always interested in who... Uh, the early readers are when when authors write. So who's your trusted sources that you deliver your pages to? Yeah, so my mom is my, like, first and final reader. Um, She's probably the person who I learned to love stories from, and she is I, I know everyone always in, like, when you read writing blogs, like, well, may, have someone other than your mother uh, read it. They'll love it. And 
that is not my experience with my mom. She is very, she will shred things um, and is very uh, difficult um, to, to please. Um, but I trust her, and I and she's so generous with her time. And then, you know, while I was in my um, writing program, Chris Lynch uh, was my mentor, who's another young adult author, and he was very generous with me and with his time. And so he read some of the earliest, earliest pages of this book and was sort of the one who gave me um, the confidence to continue with this story and that he, I think, saw something in it that he hadn't seen and some of the other things that I've been working on, just like a raw spark. And so that was very encouraging. Um, But, yeah, it's really my mom (laughs) is is my first reader. Now, you graduated from Sycamore High School in Cincinnati. I went to Ursuline until my... Until my parents moved away, I moved away in the middle of my junior year, so I'm I'm really familiar with with Sycamore High, and, and but you give a shout out in your acknowledgments to your uh, sophomore English teacher Connie Smith. So can you talk about that influence that she had on you? Connie is one of the most special people, like to me in, in, in my life. I, my junior year of high school was a really like rocky year for me emotionally. My best friend actually moved away in in the middle of the year. Um, to the East Coast, and I just had a lot of things going on, and she really was there for me and sort of grounded me in myself and was constantly wanting to talk to me after class and get to know me as a person and was really the first person who, when I told them, like, I wanted to be a writer, didn't do that thing where they blink or ask, do you have a backup plan? She was just very confident and encouraging and gave me things to read outside of the curriculum that she thought that I might like and has stayed in touch with me since, you know, high school, which is now a long time ago for me. And so she's one of um, those people that, you know, you look back and you think about how did I get to this point? And I I really don't think that I would um, be at this point if it hadn't been, you know, for her encouragement. And you went back to Sycamore recently, didn't you? And how, what was that like? It was very uh, surreal and I think the most crazy part for me was uh, it, they had it begin where they brought a lot of students in to this auditorium they have and they had me up on that stage speaking to them and I have such strong memories of seeing other people speak on that stage and having sat in those chairs and so it was a very um, sort of deja vu moment but in like a flipped way and then you know to see some of my other teachers was really fantastic and it's funny how time like seemed like it hadn't passed at all but the school physically looks very similar there's only been a few changes but then you look around at the faces and obviously nobody that I went to school with is there but there's this like strange I don't know if it's like a human thing or just something that I do but it's hard for me to envision you know other people being juniors in high school or seniors in high school. It seems like that's, like, now over. And so it was very, like, um, reflective experience for me. And sort of it, it made me so happy to get the opportunity to do what I do because it really reminded me of my audience and, and who I'm trying to reach and who yeah. I want to write for. So That's a good point. Well, congratulations. That sounds like a great deal of fun. What advice do you have to other young writers to get to that point, to say, okay, someday you may stand on your high school stage addressing, you know, addressing the community? I think that reading is the number one thing I say to people. I meet too many young 
writers who they just want to write and they don't want to read. And while I think definitely, you know, you need to write, you need to write a lot because everybody writes really bad things first and writing like anything, you know, takes a lot of time and a lot of practice to become better at. But reading is so essential, at least to my process. That's, I learn how to write from reading because you see what works. And you also see, you know, sometimes what didn't work for you as a reader. And that can also be encouraging to to understand this idea that art is subjective and it's sort of the idea of making specific artistic choices. And so I just always tell them, you know, to read a lot and also to to have um, a deep-seated, like, belief in yourself but also patience, which are two hard things uh, to, to, to balance sometimes, but to trust in the work and to trust that the good the good things will happen, but have it be more about the writing than any of the, the other things that come from it. That sounds like good advice. What has surprised you most about the experience of having your, your first book published? I think how fabulous everybody in publishing is. You know, I've been so... I I don't no, know. I didn't tell you to like, say that. I just want to be clear. No, you didn't at all. But um, and, and, and no, no. But it's it's so it's so true that you know I think that I had this idea of being someone who was completely unconnected to the publishing world and on uh, New York City that it was like very you know corporate or whatever. And, and all the people I've met who are, are just so passionate. And they just love books and they love the books that they work on and they're so creative and. You know, my editor, she's brilliant, and the book wouldn't be the book that it is today without her. She really saw what I wanted to do and helped me to try to get to that place. Um, and I think that's a, such a difficult skill to be able to, like, not try to put your own handprint on something, but to see somebody else's vision and help them get there. And so I just feel really lucky to um ended up with the team that I ended up with, I suppose. I'm glad to hear that. I agree. I agree that Alessandra's pretty amazing. What was challenging? What what surprised you in its difficulty? I think the idea um of getting out of your own head. So for me this has all been no more than I ever could have imagined. And so the second book has been really difficult to write. And I never thought that. I always thought the second I got like even one ounce of validation that everything was going to be so much easier because I would know, you know, that I had an agent or I had an editor. And it's turned to be the opposite, that you worry because you don't want to do the same trick, but you also don't want to do something so different that you alienate people who may have liked the first book or... Um, might not work for your editor and so it's sort of been about trying to unlearn all of the wonderful things that I've I've learned <laughs> which has been like such a um a trying mental process I suppose that's very interesting so now I want to speak to you as a reader what was the last conversation you had about a book and what did you what did you discuss well, it's funny because since today, awards in children's yeah. literature came out, I've had tons of conversations with people about Jandy Nelson's I'll Give You the Sun because um, Jandy Nelson is one of my absolute favorite uh, writers. Her first book, The Sky is Everywhere, is particularly special to me in that um, when I experienced a deep loss in my life, I really turned to that book. I think it's one of the books that really, really accurately captures um, grief in a very 
visceral way. And so I was, I'm beyond thrilled uh, that her yeah. second book, I'll Give You the Sun, has been honored in this way. And I think I've already bought like 15 copies of the book and given it, yeah. I gave it to everyone at Christmas. And so that's the book that I was, I've been talking about uh, specifically uh, today. And that book won the Prince Honor today. That's a great accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. And so now if you had to recommend a book to a 13-year-old boy, you know, your sort of classic reluctant reader, do you have one that you would you would recommend to him? Well, you know, my little brother was kind of a reluctant reader. And there's this book, I think it's called House of the Scorpion. And now I'm blinking on who the author is, um, which is terrible. But it's one of those books where, you know, you've seen the cover and, and yeah. that stood out. And I think it won the Newberry one year. But it's about this boy who's like the clone for a drug dealer in this, I think it's a dystopian version of Mexico. But my brother was riveted by this book and wanted to talk about it and was telling all his friends about it. And I always think about that sometimes when people ask me about reluctant readers because I look at my own brother who very much was that and how glued he was and transported by this book and how this book made him really think and he just wanted more books like that. And then I also think, you know, um, Wiener by Andrew Smith probably mm-hmm. would, would work for a 13-year-old. The problem for me is I struggle with this, like, this gender divide and that I know I just recommended to, like, probably more classically um, sounding male books. But I always think, too, that books that worked for me, you know, as a teenager, like Weepy Bad or Perks of Being a Wallflower should also be able to work for a 13-year-old boy, or I would hope so, so. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so here's my final question. If you were to be banished to a desert island and you could bring three books, which three would you bring? Okay, so I would bring The Blind Assassin by Margaret Atwood, which... It's probably my favorite novel of all time. And then I would bring Ariel by Sylvia Plath, which is a collection of poems. And I'd probably bring Weetie Bat by Francesca Leah Block, which is a young adult book I read as a young adult and kind of made me read it and think, I want to do this. And so it's um, always going to have that very, very special place uh, in my heart. So. Those are three great books, and I've I ask this question of every author, and I've never heard anyone answer it so quickly. Were you, oh, you just nailed it. You were just like, I know exactly. It's a, it's a book you, you, you thought last night. Oh, maybe tomorrow I'm going to a desert island. I better be ready. Yeah, I I fiercely love those three books. So I feel it's always such a difficult question because you know I love hundreds of books, but. To be in that fierce love, like what you would grab in a fire kind of thing, I, I know. I, you feel it, I think, in your bones when you read a book like that that becomes um, at that level. So. Well, I suspect that many young people are going to feel that way about your book. Congratulations on a terrific, terrific book. And I, I look forward to uh, seeing all of your success. And thank you very much for taking the time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. 
We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.